Brian Kilmeade. Welcome to the Man of War podcast. And of course, it's an honor to have you on, man. I am a big fan without a doubt. Oh, thank you very much. I appreciate it. Appreciate the opportunity. Awesome. So listen, uh, for those who don't, you know, follow you or don't know what you're about, I mean, you're in the in the morning uh, in the morning show, and of course, you are also you have a uh, a pretty, I mean, powerful uh, radio show. Uh, would you mind introducing yourself for our audience? Um, sure. I'm uh, Brian Kilmead. Spent the last 25 years at Fox News. The last 12 years with the radio show too. Um, also wrote this is my seventh book. Um, first two were on sports. Uh, it's uh, the games do count. It's how you play the game. And then George Washington's Secret Six. Then Thomas Jefferson, the Tripoli Pirates, Andrew Jackson, and the Miracle of New Orleans. Sam Houston and the Alamo Avengers. And this one is the President and the Freedom Fighter, which comes out uh, November second. Yeah, we're going to get into that book uh, in a little bit. Uh, very, very interesting. Just out of curiosity, I mean, you you're very well versed author. I mean, to pull these books you know, left and right this way. I mean, you must be, what do you do? You go in into a study mode and you really research this because these books, uh, from, from my understanding, they're very deep. Yeah. I mean, what I try to do is like Ron Chernow does a definitive book on us grant and nobody can touch it. Right. You read, um, you know, you read, uh, Lincoln and any of these Lincoln books, it was been two out, three out over the last month. And they do such a thorough background check on who Lincoln is, I don't think I could add anything. So I said, what if I could grab a slice of this history? Sure. I can't do better than John Meacham on Andrew Jackson. What if I talk about just the Battle of New Orleans and what led to it? And with this, I tried to uh, research both men thoroughly and then how they interacted and how they might uh, overlap. And I thought I, and that, that was my approach. So you, you study for about two years, um, already starting on the next one. And then you start formatting, going back and forth through the editor, coming up then with chapters, the summary chapters, you start blowing up the chapters, then you start uh, grabbing quotes and building those chapters off these quotes. And next thing you know, the it's a, I think of a more of a, of a project. Love it, love it. That's a great mentality to have. And uh, I mean, you're a machine though. I mean, you jump from, from your, um, your show in the morning with Fox and then your radio show. I mean, you're, you're a nonstop machine. I love that, man. We need more men like yourself out there, patriots that are uh, hunting and doing the right thing for, for our society. So with that note, what I want to do here is this. I want to jump into a little bit about the state of our society right now and how we are faltering in, in, in so many ways. I mean, you know, we can generalize this all we want, but I really want to start focusing here on the transition of this presidency and where we are now. Uh, versus where we were a couple of years ago. What are your thoughts on that? Oh, it's an absolute mess. He's, this job is way too big for him with the staff that said they were experienced and they're way over their head. Their communication's absolutely terrible. Their plans are all reactionary. What they did in Afghanistan will never be able to get over as a country. It'll make Vietnam look like the good old days where there was another side to Vietnam. We win all these battles, but you know there was no... There was no sense of what uh, victory looked like. And I can understand that. We can debate it, go back and forth. Um, but this was unbelievably inept and not worthy of the American people, the investment we put in, those people, men and women who fought this war. I can't imagine screwing up something in life more than they screwed this up. And then when you look at the economy 
and their lack of effort to fix it. When you look at the border, the lack of interest in even going to it. So you're not talking about bad decisions. You're talking about no decisions. And then they, their big idea is to spend money we don't have, put it on a credit card for social programs we don't need, and along the way, blame people who are successful and demand they stop cheating and give more of their money. Already, six out of every $10 between city and federal tax we're already giving away. What more do you want people that work around the clock to do? And now with 11 million uh, job openings and 7 million without a job, do the math. Uh, there's, some, there's an unwillingness to work here. And it's got to come from the top to set a tone. And it's, it's um, I could not see people who seem to be more qualified, less interested and less capable of running a country. Do you see daylight coming out of COVID, uh, getting out of this dark period that we're in? Oh, yeah, we're done. We're done. I mean, come on. I mean, there'll be a variant rolling in here and there. We'll overcome it. Same thing. Um, We got to get to the end of where this whole thing originated from. Stop ducking it. And then we have, you know, we have hospitalizations. We have cases. We have deaths falling off the falling off a cliff. And we don't want to admit it. Uh, we got to develop therapeutics to treat it. We got to learn to live with it. Can't run and be timid uh, and hide in a corner to learn to go away because of what might happen. Who lives their life that way? Without a doubt, without a doubt. That's um, you know, and, and another angle that I want to go on. So I'm going to come at you from all different angles because I love to hear from you and and, and your opinions. <sighs> My belief right now is that I think that every country out there is laughing at the United States specifically China. How do you think that this presidency has handled the China issue right now? And, and do you think that other countries are really looking at us and saying, man, we are the weak, we know, we're the weak country in the totem pole right now? Yeah, the thing is, we're not weakness, we're just projecting it and not holding ourselves. I mean, if you were Venezuela, if you were France, you know, you, know, you don't have the muscle power, you got to pretend you have it. You got you to use other people's muscle. You got to use terror. We could actually stand toe to toe with you and take you out. We're choosing not to. And we're being taunted by China. I don't think they're laughing. I think they're taunting. And they're seeing how far they could push us. And they want to say, are we the same country that took out Soleimani? Are we the same country that took out um, uh, al-Baghdadi? You know, are we the same country that dropped to Moab? Uh, because ISIS was beginning, uh, Al-Qaeda was beginning to uh, reassemble in Afghanistan. You know, I, I don't, the, are we the same country that sent a handful of uh, special operators into Syria and, and took down a terror organization and, and took out a bunch of Russian mercenaries? Uh, not under this guy. Uh, we, we seem to be the country that's begging Iran to get into a bad deal, uh, going into a global climate change a climate summit that will only hamstring our economy. And China's just going over, giving lip service to it, as is uh, Russia. But I don't think they're laughing at us. I think they're looking to push us. That's a, a good point there. You know, it, it's unfortunately, I feel that the image that we are giving, especially from our, our, our commander in chief, is it's a very weak, you know, it's very, very weak across all fronts. And, you know, I have friends from different countries that are, you know, constantly questioning, you know, how is this guy the leader of your country? And it just, it's it's bothersome uh, in every way. And now when I backtrack and I go into our local communities, 
you know, I've been in law enforcement for, for 17 years and I just retired a couple months ago and I was in the mix. So, you know, to see schools, you know, kind of fade away with, you know, Pledge of Allegiance and, you know, you know, God forbid you say that, you know, stars, you're seeing the Star Spangled Banner or they're trying to, to take away and curtail um, any patriotism in classrooms. What are your thoughts on that? Uh, it's a joke. Um, I think that I'm very encouraged that people are pushing back organically, not politically. This is coming from the bottom up. I've never seen school boards get so much attention. If you told me that um, people were going to be mobilized to go at their school boards and, and, and oust uh, irresponsible board of educators uh, members, I say, no, this country, and we're not worried about these local elections, but they are blowing it up. I saw with Ian Pryor use some of his great experience in the federal government to organize parents when he found that he was targeted because he was not going along with the, the woke curriculum sure. and they don't know what they unleashed there. And now it's happening in major cities and, and a lot of these governors are alerted to it. Stop with critical race theory in Texas and Florida and Tennessee. And we're not saying ignore slavery. We're not saying that the horrors of it, we're not saying there were 350,000, there weren't 350,000 slave owners and 4 million slaves. We know that. And it's horror. But we didn't invent that. That was around the world. And we're the only country to fight to get rid of that. Uh, it didn't gradually go away. So that's in our history books. That's what we learned. Nobody soft peddled it. Uh, no one said Rosa Parks was acting, acting out of line. No one said Martin Luther King uh, was out of control. Um, you know, it, we, we gave them a holiday. Rosa Parks is lauded. The, the, the counter is now a tourist attraction. Um, the bus that she was in and everything that, that happened back then, you go in the South now, there's civil rights tours to talk about how far we've come. That's not what we're talking about. People want to say um, African-Americans uh, want to have their due. I want to hear always. But don't say that we grew up in the 70s and went through school and found out that there was no, it was the war between the states. Sure. And it was a war of northern aggression. We never learned it that way. Roots, the number one series in the history of television. Right. 1976, I was in sixth grade. Everyone was basically horrified by it. Please don't tell me that soft-pedaled slavery. I mean, that was in 1976. We don't yeah. need a wake-up call. Yeah, without a doubt. And, uh, you know, you're, you're on point. You're, you're, you're absolutely on point. I think that our society nowadays just needs to stop, reflect a little bit on what's going on and stop moving along with this, um, you know, this herd mentality. So I want to talk a little bit about the specifics on this herd mentality where everyone starts doing something and everybody jumps on that bandwagon. Talk to me about, you know, COVID, for example, now, you know, where we have, you know, one part of uh, our society wearing masks and the other side saying, no, no masks. And then all of a sudden it's like, well, are you you know, vaccinated or, or not? And then you're having these feuds in between the, 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 the people that believe in, in, you know, don't believe in vaccinations and the other ones that do. And you're having these feuds that you're seeing and you're seeing it in local communities everywhere you go. You know, what mentality, I mean, can we get better at this? I mean, can, can we start changing the way we think you know, because this is affecting our local communities and we're seeing it more and more every day. Well, I, I don't know if it was avoidable. People have to study that. You know, Trump had one thing, do your own thing. And then we have this guy who wants to mandate everything. And I just think that there was a lack of trust from day one. 
you know, there was a lack of trust. Like, what is this? It's going to go away. You know, if we go back, we look at some of this stuff. There were doctors that were saying this thing's going to go away in the spring. Mm -hmm. And Anthony Fauci was saying this pandemic is not going to affect us. And don't worry about wearing masks. Are we going to just forget about that? So right away, you were giving us misinformation, but not acknowledging. Mm -hmm. Wow, I gave you bad advice on the masks. And I because I thought it was a different virus because China was not telling us exactly how this happened. But having said that, this is what I do know. And this is why. But instead, they say, well, I told you not to wear a mask because I knew we didn't have enough. Really? The Surgeon General has a tutorial how to make your own mask on his website. All you had to do is say to the American people, I'm a little concerned nurses and doctors won't have enough masks. Mm -hmm. So for the time being, go to the go here's grab a bandana. And if you want to make something a little bit more secure, we got something on a website. That's called leveling with the American people initially. And therefore, you begin to alienate people. Trump polarizes, no doubt about it. Um, President Biden is polarized. He had to work at it, but he is polarized even worse. And when he comes out and says this is a pandemic of the unvaccinated, Everyone knows that's not true. And now if you don't get mandated, you're going to get fired. But look at the big picture. Really? Since when are 15% of healthcare workers, 10% of teachers, 40% of some police forces, uh, hundreds of thousands of military members, part of the big picture? Sure. Uh, I thought every American mattered. So when stuff like that happens and then you want me to believe mm-hmm. you and go along with you, you can't have it both ways. Agreed a hundred percent on that. So, uh, you know, where, where we're headed right now, it's, it's a kind of like a, a scary uh, time in, in our society. You know, I'm, I'm pretty much, I've been on the street. I've, I've met a lot of people um, and everyone seems to be walking around a little bit confused. There's no guidance. There's no rhythm. There's no rhyme. They don't, you know, taxes are going to, you know, now everyone's scared of the new tax law that, you know, is being proposed. And uh, so, what are your thoughts on, you know, Biden's policies when in reference to taxes and taxing the quote unquote, you know, the rich? Um, listen, if um, if there are people who are sophisticated accounts, they could explain to me how they're getting away from paying their fair share. I'm all open to it. But I want to incentivize investment. And I want to incentivize successful, fair market economy. I don't think when you tell me over and over again that the rich aren't paying their fair share, that you're actually bringing us together. You're telling people they're cheating. You're telling people they're unfair. Investment income is taxed differently than regular income. We know that. So if, if you are Jeff Bezos and you're getting a paycheck, that's going to be different than Jeff Bezos, who is maybe reinvesting into Amazon. But if you turn around and say, how many people does Amazon employ? How many people do they insure? How many buildings do they build? Uh, How much insurance do they take out? How, um, you know, how many parties do they book? Then you look at that and say, okay, I kind of like the fact that they're reinvesting and they're growing and their incentives to come here. That's more the way the free market works. But when you stand behind the microphone, you create anger. So the guy or the woman making $55,000 wearing a hard hat is angry at the rich guy. Don't be angry. They took a different path. You got stability and a pension and you got security. They took it for great risk. And from great risk could be great failure or great reward. Those are choices we all make. Some people I have, I talked to 
Um, I, I talked to, I keep it, um, from Dirty Jobs. Um, why am I blanking on his name? Mike. Uh, it'll come back to me. And the blue collar jobs, he says, the people that he's met in life, the happiest mm -hmm. people are the, are the blue collar people. When you talk about the family, when you talk about the picnics, and you talk about uh, the reunions and the get togethers and the holidays, the happiest guys, they don't want to bring the job home to them. They want to be up at seven, done at three and not worry about management. Jeff Bezos sacrifices everything, invests in everything, goes up to his ears in debt, does not make a profit for six years. He wanted that stress. I don't hate him because he broke through. I don't hate Steve Jobs because he started Apple after dropping out of college in his garage. And then he becomes unbelievably rich along the way. Never had it, never felt like he had a day off, always had to press for the next thing. That's the sacrifice. You're never satisfied. But those people make up America. And when you hop behind the microphone and say the rich got to pay their fair share, corporations getting away with murder, okay. Explain to me how you're doing. Don't don't keep saying the rich people are screwing the poor people and wonder why America's at each other's throats. Amen to that, without a doubt. All right, let's talk about the border. Okay, this is this is a very touchy scenario here. Um, you know, this border thing. I think at this point, um, I mean, I I heard recently that you couldn't even fly a drone in the area. That it's all been you know restricted airspace. Um, what are your thoughts on the border, the way it's being handled right now, and how do you foresee it being handled here in the near future? Border is an intentional travesty. Uh, they, we are now paying as a country $8 million a day um, to yeah. not build a wall we paid for. It's rusting in the desert, hundreds of thousands of barrier that Border Patrol says they absolutely need to funnel people. Doesn't mean a guy can't scale it. Doesn't mean sometimes they fall, but it means it ferries and it funnels. Number two, you have a situation where everyone gets in unvaccinated when they're telling us we're fired for not getting vaccinated. We should leave our jobs and we should be ashamed. Well, you're letting 1.6 million minimum get here illegally and letting human traffickers make a ton of money to invest more money in illegal drugs to flood our border. It is to mm. me, it is to me, if you talk about impeachment, I, I'll take that. Forget about the phone calls to Ukraine. I'll take sure. this. I'll take that because I'm, all I'm asking you to do is watch our back as a country and you won't even close the back door. So yeah. you, you, know, we, you have our guys, you see our guys in Panama on rafts with these people. You, you see them going through the Panama jungle, our reporters. And then you see us going, going through, we're taking the journey with them. We're spotting these caravans and they won't even go to the border. Mayorkas, who was a deputy Homeland Security secretary is pretending he's doing everything he can do. The only time they talked about the border is when they thought they had some type of racial incident with a border patrol person on a horse trying to, uh, trying to round up Haitian immigrants who was sneaking into our country illegally. At the same time, within 20 minutes, was saving someone down the line on a horse who was caught in the current in a in a uh, in the Rio Grande River. So uh, this is to me is an intentional travesty. Tough, tough to swallow. That's a uh, tough pill to swallow. 
All right, man. Look, so what I want to do here is I want to get into your new book. All right. This is, um, when is this being released? Comes out November 2nd. November 2nd. So you, people can pre-order it now, right? Yeah. If you just go to BrianKillMe.com, you'll see where I'll be. I might, you know, since this goes around the country, I might be in your town. Um, I'll be in, in Florida in particular. I'll be in Clearwater, Ponte Vedra, December 3rd, November 21st in Orlando, Charleston, cool. West Virginia on uh, November 7th, but all these appearances uh, all across the country as best I can. Awesome. Very, very good. <clears throat> all right. So the president and the freedom fighter, this is a, you know, that's an interesting, <laughs> that's a very interesting title. I love it. It's about Abraham Lincoln and Frederick Douglass. Now, for those who don't know who, um, obviously most people, you know, they know who Abraham Lincoln is, but can you expand a little bit on who Frederick Douglass was? So uh, it's, uh, if, and the subtitle I think tells it all, Abraham Lincoln, Frederick Douglass in the battle to save America's soul. So America just can't exist the way it is. I mean, you had free states, slave states, and in the North, there was only 1% of the slave population, the black population was in the North and they weren't enslaved. In the South, there was, uh, 350,000 slave owners, roughly 4 million. Not mm. everyone was a farmer, but most were. Uh, most of the banking and the commerce, uh, that was in the North. In the South, we had an agreement. And it was basically, you live your life, we'll live ours, together we're one country. But when you start adding Texas, technically a slave state, even though Sam Houston didn't want to fight the Civil War and bowed out before, he said, if you guys go into this, I'm out. And a lot of people mm -hmm. felt that way. Andrew Jackson would have felt that way too had he survived, had he lived that long. But when they started with the Nebraska-Missouri Compromise, when they came with the Dred Scott decision that said, if you're a slave, you could always uh, be grabbed at any point and be re-slaved, essentially. The fugitive slave law. If we catch you in the North, uh, once you escape for freedom, we can get you and grab you back. It was ripped up the country. And finally, when Lincoln's elected as the first Republican, he didn't ran, run on getting rid of slavery, but he said, we're not going to expand anymore. And slavery's wrong. And by the time he wins the election, half the country leaves and they declare, make the uh, Confederate of uh, Confederate States of America. So Lincoln's left with a choice. We've got to fight. So Lincoln's a guy who grew up in abject poverty to um, two illiterate parents who made them work 20 hours a day. That that's just the way it was. Mm -hmm. That's necessarily mean he was abusive. And he makes his way, grows up in Indiana. We do a special November 7th on the news channel at 10 o'clock that outlines this story. Mm -hmm. But he's, a, he's got a thirst for education. And he learns to, wants to be a lawyer. And he aspires to do it. Has some great mentors. Becomes a one-term congressman. Runs for a few elections. But he's known as this physical specimen. This great intellect. And everyone writes an odd-looking guy. But mm -hmm. Frederick Douglass, if you think those obstacles were great, that's a walk in the park compared to him. He never knows his parents. He suspects who his father is, a slave master. His mom, he says, visited him a couple of times in the middle of the night, mm -hmm. knows who his grandparents are, but he's raised in slavery. And as he grows up, he is uh, basically finds a way, and I detail in the book, to learn how to read. Then he learns how to write. And he has this thirst for learning, which is something, there's a reason why they told slaves, if you taught a slave to read and write, you'd go to jail. Because once they realized how much better their life could be, they would thirst for it. And he was just dying to get out. Literally, whatever he could do, he would get out. He tried to escape once, didn't work. 
didn't get put to the deep south for us. We'd never heard of him. The second time in Baltimore, he gets out, ends up in the north. He ends up marrying, finds a way to, uh, he gets discovered as this great speaker. Within seven years of escaping to freedom, he becomes a world-renowned intellect and lecturer known wow. in Ireland and Scotland and England, thirsting Very to cool. push America towards freedom the entire time. Seeing Lincoln in the backdrop, forming his own newspaper called the North Star, prodding and pushing Lincoln because he saw the potential this guy could have. Who is this Republican Party? Why are they providing so much hope? And along the way, he is making a big difference. And the abolitionist movement is growing. Guys like John Brown, we couldn't confer to him. You probably don't know. William Lloyd Harrison, Garrison, but he was a big mentor, or Garrett Smith are in household names. But uh, together, they begin to form this abolitionist movement and the push to make America one, which is freedom for all, once and for all, is really headed up by these two men. Love it. Love it, man. Awesome. All right. So I'm going to ask you another question here. In what ways was Abraham Lincoln ahead of his time? Okay. And how do you think that he would wear, you know, fare his views today in, in a public square today? I mean, I, well, I, I kind of like vision, envision him going back and in a public square speaking. And how do you think he would be today? I mean, if you read his quotes from back then, he sounds like a racist. He says, well, I think black should be free. Mm -hmm. I'll just paraphrase. But I don't think they're equal. Obviously, the white man is superior. That's a man in his times. Mm -hmm. Ben Franklin thought that, too. And then Ben Franklin would go to some children's classes in the north and he would change and become the number one abolitionist. But if you read early Ben Franklin, he wasn't there. Mm -hmm. If you read early debt, Abraham Lincoln, he wasn't there. But you see Abraham Lincoln grow. And Frederick Douglass writes this. He goes, I see the potential in this man. Mm -hmm. He begins to be more and more African-Americans. And he went from a guy that said, hey, guys, sorry about slavery. Let's do this colonization thing. I'll send you anywhere you want to go. And the African-Americans in our midst said, no, we want to be American. We don't want to do this colonization thing. So now we hear about colonization. We say, what a racist Lincoln was. Not really. He's saying, we made a huge mistake generations prior. Can we send you back? Now we're horrified by it. But then you could un almost understand the mindset. This is never going to work. And then we realize there's more people like Frederick Douglass and Booker T. Washington uh, out there to lead them through this ugly time. And they would finally meet uh, and work together towards recruiting African-Americans for the army, let them fight for their freedom. But how would Lincoln do today? Lincoln would adjust to the times. If you watch what, what Douglas wrote about Lincoln and saw how much he's grown, he said, basically, my man has grown in office. And he began to realize that America should be one and that there is equality and that the race, there is no difference between the races. And to me, the person who did more damage to anybody else in America uh, history is John Wilkes Booth. Because hmm. if you put Douglas with Lincoln and Grant, Okay. They knew they had to flood the South with teachers because the African-Americans are now free and illiterate because of the slave masters. They knew they had to flood it with housing. They knew they'd have massive security because even though the uh, South laid down their weapons, they weren't over the loss. And, and they were going to make the African-Americans pay. And we did not provide the security. The rise of the Ku Klux Klan, all part of American history. We're not ducking it. We're talking about the progress we made and the progress we had to make. And if you have Grant working with Lincoln, working with people like Douglas, mm -hmm. America would be wouldn't need in, in the 1860s. We wouldn't have needed the 1960s. That's what I believe. Love that, man. Love that. Where can people uh, grab this book? I pre-order it. Can they go to Amazon and pre-order it, or you have a website? Oh yeah, you, you, yeah. Go to my website. You can pre-order it. Get it off. Uh, you can order it anywhere. 
Okay. And my hope is too, I did the book on tape, took me three days. But if, if your, your lifestyle is, I need to listen, I'm in a rush. I'm mm-hmm. in the car all the time. Um, I, I, this is one of those books on tape I loved reading. Now, is this more of a, of a, of a history book or are you actually is more of a storytelling mode on this book? I think both. I mean, there, there's not one thing fictional in it. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I have to weave together quotes and times. I, I wasn't with them every step of the way. It's not a documentary. Of course. Of course. But I can, build, I can build on it. And the references are all there and the footnotes are prevalent and awesome. gettable. I mean, if you read David Blight's book on Frederick Douglass, you don't close that and say, I could do it better. But I was able to take that slice, tell you what he's about, but really get you as he interacted. Now, think about this. Here's a, in a time in which um, African-Americans are free in the South and in the North, they're not really known. And there's no sense of equality in America mm-hmm. among just just a small portion of people see equal. Others mm-hmm. say every, well, most people say free, but not many people say equal. You have a, a situation. Um, you have a situation where he is. Um, allowed to not only not wait online to see Lincoln when he lines up. It was amazing to think that when you lined up outside the White House, you'd get to see the president, even during the Civil War, with the enemy miles away. You could still walk up, no fence, and wait. And if the president was free, he'd see him. So Lincoln, uh, Douglas wants equal pay. He wants blacks to be able to fight for their freedom. He goes, I'm going to go see him. So the guy walks in, dressed to the nines, ramrod, um, uh, ramrod posture, walks down, waits online at 100 degrees temperatures, and he waits for Lincoln. He thinks he's going to be there for a day. He's there for minutes. When Lincoln hears Frederick Douglass, who is yet to meet, is online, he waves him through. He shuts the door and they talk for hours with sitting senators on the outside. Wow. So for those who want to be, say, Lincoln's a racist, not really, he's a man of his times. Does he see equality and does he see greatness? Yeah. He knew all about Frederick Douglass, a, a frequent critic. And when they talked, they combined efforts. And when, when Douglas looked at him, he said, as soon as I looked him in the eye, I saw the cardness and uh, the, uh, the goodness uh, and how much this man cared and would think and he would listen. And they talked deeply and they would meet three times in overall. And when it came for the inauguration and his reelection, he's on the stage. And when it comes for his inauguration party, he's invited. And the first thing he says, the world shuts down when Lincoln sees Douglas. And he said, what do you think of my speech? And he basically says, I thought it was brilliant. And it was, it was, we're not going to revel in this victory. It's uh, let's, let's just get over it and come back together as a country. And think about that. That's an amazing feat today to go to meet a president for a president to signal for Douglas to come up and to see the greatness in that man. And for Douglas to see the greatness in Lincoln Um, to me, okay, to, to read and research it, thoroughly it gives you chills because douglas knew it he's like oh my goodness i'm i didn't wear pants until i was nine years old i slept on the floor my entire life almost my entire youth i never even knew my parents and now i'm sitting there in this dress to the nines with the president of the united states who knows my name i mean think about that and the best was yet to come he'd work with five or six other presidents and his house would be on top of the hill and You'll see that all in the November 7th special, which is going to be forever uh, on Fox Nation without commercials. Wow, that's powerful, man. Well, I got to tell you that um, I am definitely going to be reading this book. This is going to be in one of our top lists, and I'll probably for our um, Men of War Society, which is a brotherhood that uh, 
um, I lead, I'm going to make this a uh, recommended reading. This will go into the recommended reading list without a doubt. So um, for those that are listening and uh, want to definitely read a good book, I mean, he's given you, uh, Brian has given you exactly what it's about, and it's very powerful. Um, I highly recommend that you run out there and pre-order his book. Go to the website. It's, is, is it briankillmead.com? Is that what it is? Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. And you can see uh, I might be in your town. Uh, so wherever town you, if you're anywhere close, they want you to register in this COVID environment. Uh, but if you don't, it's day up and you just notice it, just uh, hop, come on down. Got it. And you'll be down here in Florida. Uh, you said Clearwater and uh, Orlando. Um, yeah, I'll be in uh, Orlando uh -huh. on the 21st of November. I'll be in Clearwater December 4th, Ponte Vedra, which is Jacksonville area, December 3rd. Got it. Um, Pontevedra, got it. Very good. Yeah, we have listeners all over the, the country, but this isn't for Florida guys. You know, he'll be here um, in November and December. Awesome. All right, Brian, listen, thank you for being on. I appreciate it, man. You're a man definitely that uh, knows his stuff and as a patriot for our country and it's going out there. And, and not only are you an excellent, you know, show um, host for, for your show and your radio show, but you're an excellent writer. I've, I've uh, read two of your books and uh, I'm very interested in diving in headfirst into this book here. All right, my brother, Great. thank you very much for being on. I appreciate it. Thank you. Continued success. You too. Thank you, sir.